Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Co-op. This morning, we are celebrating Black History Month. And we have celebrating with us Dr. Jenny Stevens. Good morning, Dr. Stevens. Good morning, Vernon. How are you? I am great. And you are the CEO of the Center for Heirs Property Preservation. And I have heard numbers before that I guess in 1910, blacks owned 15 million acres of land, and a day is more like three acres, two and a half, three acres of land. And so you're about helping people to save their land? That's what you do? Yes. Our job is to help families not only hold on to their land by resolving titles or preventing heirs property issues, but to also maximize the use of that land or make the land work for them rather than them working for the land. Maximize the use of the land. Okay. Land that work for them as opposed to them working for the land. Oh, I like that. I like that. I like that. So how did you get in this work? I had the privilege of being a senior program director at a local community foundation who literally stumbled across this issue um, and helped convene judges, lawyers, heirs, property owners, um, service providers, nonprofit service providers, just who saw that our families were losing their land because of heirs property. And, and how could they help fix it, you know, fix the loss of land, but also help them utilize that land. And that's how I stumbled across this issue myself. And so this month's Black History Month is resistance. And what I've had people on the show before talk about that there were laws in place that hurt poor people and that took their land. So is that what you end up teaching people about the land and how they've got to protect themselves? Well, first of all, we teach individuals or families the value of their land so that they can appreciate it. Um, and then we say we remind them of all that their ancestors encountered to acquire this land and um, the wealth, not only the wealth, but the ecosystem services that can be generated from uh, using this land. So it's it's about basically understanding the asset that they own and resolving any issues that would prevent them from using that asset of land. Understand the asset. And so I guess in the 20s and 30s, maybe 40, 50, 60s, uh, blacks also just walked away from their land and went north. Yes, for many reasons. One, um, you know, because of lynchings are the threats of what could happen if you didn't surrender the ownership of your land or the fact that it, it was really hard to make a living in the South. And so they sought other means of generating income. So they went up north. I just I find it hard to believe that you, somebody would 
lynch somebody to take their land. Are you are you serious? <laughs> All right, you're being a little sarcastic. <laughs> yes, been very sarcastic. <laughs> it's gay, right? So and and, and you know, um, which would you rather keep, your life or your land? And so it was an easy choice for some folk that they would rather have their lives, and so they they did. They went up north. So I'd like for you to explain some of the laws that were used to get the the land. I mean, my limited understanding mm -hmm. is that if there were five heirs, if somebody bought one of the heirs, if they bought what they owned, their portion, their 20%, then they could force the sale of the rest of it. Okay, I'm going to answer that question. Before I do, I just want to uh, remind the audience that I'm not an attorney. So from my uh, my you know my almost 18 years of being in this line of work so heirs property owners they own a particular percentage of the land or share right it's like shares in a corporation and they each have the right <laughs> um to own and to use that land so all it takes is i'm gonna come up with a name all it takes is bill um someone approaching bill and saying i want to buy your share now, Bill has an undivided share in the whole, so it's the, it, it can't be separated per se, even though Bill may have 20%, but we don't know what piece of the land is Bill's 20%. Mm -hmm. So Bill, in essence, usually um, is offered this person a quick claim deed, where he signs over what he believes is his to this person. And then that person becomes the newest member of the family and has the same rights as the other. And oftentimes in the past, they would petition the court for them to have, quote unquote, their share, which then all usually would end up with a forced sale. Uh, auction at the county seat or something. Yeah. Um, well, you know, they had choices, but oftentimes you would see that it was an auction. So the land went to the highest bidder, not what the land was worth, but what the bidder was willing to pay. And too often that bidder might have been that person that got that one share who. Yeah, because it doesn't matter the percentage of the share. So keep that in mind. Folks think that, oh, you know, you got to have 20. No, you really just need to prove that you have ownership. And that could be 1% if there was 100 people heirs or something. Right. Okay. And so have you seen this happening a lot in your 18 years of, of being in this work? Well, I haven't seen it happen as frequently, but I live in the state of South Carolina, and if I just call out the name Hilton Head, um, most folk, if you've ever visited Hilton Head Island, uh, before there was a bridge to that island, it was primarily owned by African Americans. But once access was gained to the island and there was this little thing called flood insurance, uh, it really reduced the liabilities of other folk uh, acquiring this land and you will see definitely and I think it was Soledad actually I was on the Soledad O'Brien show where she actually interviewed several families on Hilton Head and how they had lost their land because of you know someone buying a share or the family member purposely knowing they're selling their land and that their family's going to lose it so it happens yeah I've been to Hilton Head and I was amazed to find out that that island, what it looks like today, was owned by black folks at one point. That's correct. There's only one segment of the island where uh, it's still held predominantly by African-Americans. 
And how much approximate how much land is that? I'm not sure of the approximate land, but the the sad part is that that island was predominantly owned by African Americans. But through, um, as some of our attorneys like to say, legalized theft, um, it was acquired by other folk, and eventually they're being pushed off the island. Legalized theft. Yes. Okay. So, you know, sometimes people can make the law work for them. I'll just put it that way. Legalized theft. Okay, I got it. <laughs> okay. Well, you talked about resistance, and you talked about the fact that there are a lot of inequities that have uh, transpired since after emancipation. It, it just has. Yeah, I'll leave it at that without getting too deep into small p politics. <laughs> oh, I uh, I was looking forward to what you were going to say next, uh, whether small p or big p politics. But what we have found is black Americans were able to buy land. They were able to get land that they knew that land is extremely important for generational wealth. It can be passed on, but right. families were not able to hold on to that land. And you talk about Hilton Head as an example. And, uh, I visited St. Helena Islands last summer, about 14, about 18 months ago. And I could see the same thing happening there. Blacks still own a lot of, of that land, but if they're not careful because of the, the beauty of the, the land, the beauty of the, the, the weather, that blacks could end up not owning that land either. So when our state started requiring uh, planning and zoning, the residents of uh, St. Helena were very proactive and they were able to get a historic district. Their, uh, St. Helena incorporated in like a cultural uh, historic district, which to this up to this point has helped protect that community. But just recently, there has been a developer who is asking the county to give them permission to build a golf course over on St. Helena. And so, yeah, they were very forward thinking about how to protect them because they didn't want to become a Hilton Head. Um, but it's a fight that you they have to continue <laughs> to have. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so we talked just a little bit about how you got involved in this work. This is a question I normally ask at the end of the show, but do you like what you do? Oh, I love what I do. I love what I do because literally I get to put my super shiro cape on every morning and go to work. My passion in life is helping people help themselves. And so, yeah, I love what I do. Help people help themselves. When you help a family, do they really get it? Do they come back and feel, uh, feel appreciative of your shiroism? Um, well, and I, I won't take all of the credit because I have a great team. But yes, we have had people who have benefited from our, even our education, maybe not even our direct legal services, but they will in turn make a contribution to our organization. As a matter of fact, we have one lady, her family benefited from um, a customized educational seminar for them. And she started making a hundred dollars per month donation, and now she's up to three hundred dollars a month. And just from that one encounter with us, so she is giving back. Great, 
phenomenal. That's really, really, really good. So you like getting up in the morning and going to work because you help people help themselves. Tell me quickly about your education. My education is uh, my undergrad is in business administration. My master's is in public administration. And I bumped my head about 14 years after I had my master's and decided I wanted to go work on my Ph.D., which is in organizational leadership, which I think, you know, it plays to my skills. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a forester. But my job is I'm a systems person. I put things that may not look like they belong together. And um, thankfully, I've learned to make them work. Okay. We're going to take our first break. And I want to come back and talk about what you make work in the organization with all of the knowledge that you have acquired. And are you from South Carolina? I am. I am from the metropolis of Walterboro, South Carolina. Nobody's probably ever heard of it. Yes, that's where I I grew up. (laughs) We'll we'll be right back. Uh, Please don't touch that dial. Talk 1450 AM and 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. We are celebrating Black History Month, and this, this the theme for this uh, year is Black Resistance. And we're talking to Dr. Jenny Stevens, who's the CEO for the Center for Heirs Property Preservation. And before we took break, you were talking about the the lady that you helped that felt so gracious about it and that she started giving $100 a month and then $300 a month. If there's somebody out there who would like to donate, how would they do that? Um, they can always go to our website, which is Heirs Property, that's H-E-I-R-S Property dot O-R-G. And on our website, you can press, um, you'll see, you can click on the Donate Now button, and that's how you can do it. Easy as that. Easy. Easy peasy. Good news. Good news. So can you say you you had structured a um, training for this particular lady? Can you say what that training was or what that program was that you were able to structure? Yes, so we actually provide educational seminars um, where our lawyers are describing, you know, what is heirs property, what, you know, the importance of a will, how to resolve it. But for this particular individual, we have what we call a family presentation, which is that educational seminar customized to the needs of the particular family. So... Oftentimes, you'll you'll see there are a lot of power brokers in the family who believes is if they don't say it's so, it's not so. Mm-hmm. So by bringing members from every branch of the family together and hearing, quote unquote, the truth about the law, then it puts everybody on the same playing field and they understand or begin to understand their role um, in owning that land, but also resolving the title. And so we offer that for, I'm just going to say Miss Smith. That's what I'll call it. Okay. We offer that for Mrs. Smith's family. And she was grateful that we did because she learned a lot and she saw the importance of having a neutral 
body entity to provide that information. So you're that neutral body, the Center for Heirs Property Preservation. You're the neutral body that comes in and helps the family navigate knowing what the law is, not what an individual view is, whatever power they are coming from, or individuals or different clans, if you will, or different segments of the family. Yes, because, you know, in the past, when you hear the horror stories around Ayers property, you've heard how people have gone to uh, for-profit or private attorneys and ultimately ended up losing their land because they're like, oh, that land won't perk, so why don't you sell it? And then you see that it's a friend of that attorney now buying that land. And so our allegiance are the attorneys who work for the center. Their allegiance belongs to the center. So that's why I think it also helps people come and partake of our services because they know we don't have any nefarious intent with their land. It really is about educating folk or helping them make informed decisions because it's not our job to tell families what to do, but it is our job to provide them with the education and the tools they need to make those decisions. Fantastic. And she felt grateful enough to to give back. You helped them a lot. I take it. Yes. Okay. And she's not. I mean, she's not the only one, but that was just the one that came to mind when you asked me the question. So can you give us examples of the issues that you end up brokering with the families? Yes. So oftentimes people will come in our office and apply for services because literally they're tired of paying the property taxes. That's the thing about heirs property. Even though it may be owned by multiple people, there may be only a few who are taking the responsibility to pay the property taxes. And usually they're coming in like, I want my piece. <laughs> That's usually what they say. But then we explain to them, it's not just you and your piece, but we have to have that conversation around your family and truthfully identifying all the heirs. In some cases, we may have folk who... Um, they're like, well, I can't believe my my sister-in-law's husband, <laughs> um, who's not their family member, now has ownership in the land. And all of that ha happens because of um, people dying and they're dying without a will. And so there are people who aren't who don't have blood ties to the land who may become owners. And of course, that that's a bone of contention. Mm -hmm. So how do you go about identifying all of the heirs? Well, actually, it's not the center who does that. It's the family. What we help them do is we help them access information like, um, you know, obituaries are really important for families. And, and what our attorneys tell us is don't list people as your children if they're not, because that obituary can be used later on for, you know, to oh my prove goodness. ownership. So, you know, how people say, leave this to my Okay, like a son or like a daughter. Yeah. Well, be mindful of that. <laughs> okay. 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 And so, you know, the other issue that we also see, it may be somebody who was raised in the family, but not formally adopted. Because technically, that person doesn't have any ownership to that land, the raised child, unless there was a will that says so. Now, we've had some really nice families who've come in. And they knew that they treated that particular child as their brother and they wanted them to be included, you know, when they were resolving the title. But they didn't have to do that. Right. So you keep mentioning this will thing. What is that will and how does one do that? 
Well, it's called a last will and testament. You know, it basically, and I'm not a lawyer, so I'm giving you the Jenny Stevens perspective of that. You know, you get to tell, you know, if you're a control freak, some of us are, but we won't talk about that. Um, <laughs> you get to tell from your from the grave what happens to your property, but you do it before you die. And, you know, it's not just poor people who don't uh, have a will drafted. Uh, for example, Prince. <laughs> and I think even Aretha Franklin died without a will. But the importance of a will is, truthfully, you do get to say what's going to happen to your prop, your uh, any of your assets, your property that you leave behind. And I like to say you're being prepared to die. <laughs> um, why have people fight over your 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 um, assets after you leave when you could have made that decision up front mm -hmm. and guide the process and make it much easier for your loved ones? So I am seventy five. I did my will at about 50, but I didn't want to talk about death. I didn't want to think about it. Nobody does. Let's be honest, right? Nobody mm -hmm. does because we want to we want to live forever, but we can't. And, and especially for the African-American community, there's this fallacy that if I have my will drafted, I am going to die, right? Oh. And that often okay. would prevent them, people, from having a will drafted because they're like, but... This is going to sound funny or be mean, but I'm not being mean. We're going to die, right? Let's just admit that. Everybody's going to eventually die. So I like to say, well, why not die prepared? Yeah. Yeah, we're all going to die. That's the only thing we know when we were born. The only thing yeah. we know. We're going to die. That is correct. question is when and how well do we live life? Right. And just to follow up with that will example, we had one lady, older lady come into our office and she was there for a dispute on, on another side, but she was in her second marriage. And I happened to ask her, you know, Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Green, you know, do you have a will? And her response to me was no, because I don't want to offend anybody, right? And I'm thinking, you know, I grew up in the South. My mama told me to respect my elders. And I'm thinking, well, you know you're going to be dead, so it doesn't matter if you offend them. <laughs> um, but, of course, I did not say that. You didn't say that, okay. I did not say that. But those are things that people have in their minds that prevent them from having a will drafted. Well, I had that too. And I still do because I've been looking at changing my will. Mm -hmm. And that gets to be, you know, who do you who do you want to leave something to? And if you leave something to him and not her, then there could be upset. And so, yeah, Correct. you don't want the upset, but I also want, what I want to give somebody, I want that to be what they get, okay, and not have to pay all of these taxes and stuff. Well, we typically don't work with uh, high-wealth families because we do draft wills and simple wills for free for certain, when we're in our – we're conducting our wills clinics, which is basically holding – drafting wills but doing it at a community event. So for people over a certain dollar amount, we say, no, we're not going to help you because we're going to do you a disservice. You know, they may need a trust. They may need something that we can't provide, and our lawyers are not tax accountants. So there are times when we don't draft wills because it's not to the family or the individual's advantage. Okay. So we're going to take our next break, and I would like for you to come back and talk about when – is a will advantageous for a family 
and you said that sometimes if they're high dollar value, maybe you can tell us what that high dollar value is in your head or what you all have written down of. If you make over this, then we cannot provide a will. You need to go out and get somebody else to do it. And we'll be right back and we'll talk about those things. We'll be right back. News Talk 1450 WOLAM, where information is power. This is Everything Co-op. This is the radio show that we're doing. My name is Vernon Oaks, and Dr. Jenny Stevens is our guest today. This program, uh, Jenny, we've been on the air now uh, over nine years. We're in our 10th year, and we've been sponsored all of that time by the National Cooperative Bank, whose mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities by providing innovative financial and related services. So they've just been a great partner uh, to us in helping us to know the layout of the land of, of, of co-ops uh, in the U.S. and uh, cheerleading us on. And so I'm so glad you're on today. And what we said we were going to come back and talk about are the importance of wills, um, they want to continue that conversations and why people won't do a will and if there's anything that we might be able to say to encourage people to do a will. So what is that value? What is that amount of money, the assets, what people own? I like to talk about what people own and what they owe. And, and what you are doing is helping people to make sure they know the value of what they own in terms of land. Right. Uh, for farming and timber and so forth. And the reason that's so important is because before the pandemic, the average white family had $171,000 of net worth of wealth, and a black family had 17000 about one-tenth. Later, I heard a stat that really frustrates me, and that is if, it was, if it's a single black head of household family, their net worth is negative $6,000. So they owe more than they own if it's a single black family. So at what wealth do you say to somebody, you have to go do your own will? We can't help you because it may be a disservice for you. Yeah, and our internal number, it's, you know, we just selected that number, is around $500,000. Because as I said earlier, our attorneys on staff, they are not tax accountants. And there are always implications, you know, estate taxes when, you know, because they, they want to impact the person who's doing the will right then, but it will impact the people who will inherit from the will. And we are mindful of that. And that's why we provide them with that advice that you need to go see someone that, you know, th that has that expertise because it'll be to your advantage. Because going back to what you said about wealth, you know, if that person has to pay an estate tax, that's less money that's going to go into those heirs' pockets, right? Which then eventually impacts their wealth. So that's why we're telling them to find an expert to help you from that perspective. So I went out and found an attorney uh, that does air, and I think it cost me $4,000, so it wasn't, it wasn't cheap, um, to do a, a living will uh, mm -hmm. to talk about what happens if I get ill, what I want people to right. do, 
a trust, a will, and uh, also helping me to understand how to operate this trust, how to put everything into the trust so that when it happens. And I like what you said, which I hadn't gotten so much, is that the tax savings is for the people that inherit whatever you leave them. That is correct. Depending on how you set up stuff. And if you correct. don't set up something, the likelihood is they'll pay the highest amount of taxes or or maybe even lose some, a big portion of the asset. Yeah, because you want to leave them a gift, not a liability. Remember that. <laughs> I like that. Okay. So this is only a problem in rural uh, counties, country, part of No. Um, Ayers property, you can find it all over the country, but the Pew Charitable, Charitable Trust just recently... Um, did a report on Philadelphia and how many um, the I think the heirs property that they identified was worth billions of dollars is that once again we say people don't know what they don't know and even if they're persons of means they still don't you know I, well let me back up. I like to say this we all know when someone passes you need to hold some type of memorial for them right mm -hmm. but there are other things beside a funeral that you need to think about. And once again, if you want to leave that gift or that asset to your family, then you need to become as knowledgeable as possible to ensure they get the maximum gift that you want to give them. And people just don't think about a will. Because why? You said it earlier. They don't want to think about dying. Well, that was hard for me to get over. I got to tell you, that was really hard for me to get over. <laughs> And I think it's just my friends and people around me just kept pushing, 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 saying, you know, it's going to happen. Be prepared. Right. And I also want to say not just um, is heirs property, not a rural versus urban, but if we were to go up into the Appalachia, you would see that the skin color of the landowner would change, but it would be some of the same issues. Uh, for Native Americans, they call it fractionated land. Um, and then you've got, you know, definitely along the border of of uh, Texas, you know, the, the colonials where, you know, once again, people may not have had access to attorneys or they may not have had the knowledge or they may not have trusted the attorneys who were around them. And they just did not do um, a will or some shape of an estate plan. So when you went to Appalachia, you were mainly that I'm from Bluefield, West Virginia, so I'm from Appalachia. Okay, my my <laughs> grandfather. Oh, no, Appalachia. I might have pronounced it wrong. <laughs> wrong. Sorry. It's Appalachia. all good. <laughs> it's all good. My grandfather worked in the mines, and my father worked on a railroad. Um, mm -hmm. So, but you, I, I I got. I want to make sure I got what you were saying that in Appalachia mm -hmm. it's mostly white folk, and they're poor white folk, right. and that so you may have white people that own the land but they had the same issues mm -hmm. and then you went to native americans the same issues of yeah. of land yeah they call it fractionated land but it's some of the same uh issues what is fractionated land um it's their term for what i guess we would call heirs property but for native americans a little different that they were given certain allotments. And I don't want to get too deep in it because I may say the wrong thing because that's okay. not my area of expertise. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, just think about it. It's, you know, you hear the word fraction. Basically, once again, it's multiple people own having ownership into land, which 
really for them prevents how they use their property. Okay. So they may own a fraction of the land. Okay. Got it. And then when you went by the border, you were mainly, to my my mind, perhaps Mexican-Americans, brown Mm -hmm. folks, uh, Latina people that have the same issues. And if you go to California, Texas, um, New Mexico, Arizona, all of those places, um, the land... (laughs) It's such a tremendous asset because God's just not making any more of it. It's, it's a He's limited not. amount. Yep, and that is basically what one of our landowners said is that um, when we started our sustainable forestry program in 2013, um, one of them said, look, we weren't even invited in circles to know about forestry or what you could do um, to generate money from your land. And so here it is. Um, and their point was not only that, but God's not making any more land. So we really need to be good stewards of the land that we currently own. Um, for us in South Carolina, the forest and forest products industry is a $21 billion industry. So, Oh, oh I'm if, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Kim, let me stop you a minute. You just caught my attention. Sure. You didn't uh-huh. say 21M, 21 no. million. B. 20, B. At, B, as in billion. $21 billion um, industry, forestry. In, forest and forest products. Forest and forest products in only in the state of South Carolina. That is correct. So the South is known as the wood basket. I think is 60% of the wood that's generated is coming from the South. Oh. Wood, timber. I probably shouldn't say wood, but yeah, timber. <laughs> the wood basket. Yes. I always thought it was just a Bible belt. or It is. It's the Bible Belt, it's the Black Belt, it's the Wood Basket, all of those things. And if you do the overlay, uh, you you could see, and then the overlay of poverty. <laughs> On top of that, it speaks volumes. So poverty, from what you're, if you're going, blacks in the Black Belt, you also have whites in the Black Belt that are in poverty. Right. You have Appalachia, which is majority white that are impoverished in Appalachia, but you have blacks that are impoverished in Appalachia. You go to go out west, uh, and perhaps also back here in the east, the Native Americans uh, impoverished. And I've had a lady on from the Navajo Nation that talks about what they can do because they don't they don't even have water in their houses. They're very impoverished, and the education is the issue. And the same thing for brown folks. And land turns out to be one of the critical pieces. And if you go to colonization, you mentioned that term. It was about taking land, stealing land. Yeah. Okay. The king gave me blank. Well, who? how did the king get it? <laughs> okay. Or the queen. They gave you that stuff. Okay. So I want to talk more about the services you provide and the events. So what what are the services? Let's start there. Um, just to make it quick, we, you know, our mission is about protecting heirs' property, but it's also about promoting the sustainable use of land. So not only are we working with heirs' property owners, but we're also uh, working with people who have clear title, and we want them to be able to use that land. So we have a three-bucket strategy, and I'll make it real quick. It's prevent it, fix it, use it. Prevent it in the sense of preventing the growth and loss of heirs' property. Fixing it is as in it is heirs' property. How can we help you resolve or uh, make the title clear or resolve the title? 
And then the use it piece for us is sustainable forestry, providing that tool, um, providing the technical assistance, the education, uh, connecting our landowners with markets on how they can, you know, just make their land productive, just, you know, make it really short and simple. So education really is the theme or the service that I believe is our greatest um, offering to the community because as I said earlier we want landowners to make informed decisions and then the drafting of wills and the providing the legal services and the forestry technical assistance and um, yeah so that's our that's my elevator speech about our services now not only do we draft wills so you if you were to go to our website you would see that we have um, you know one of the upcoming events are uh, free wills clinics, right? So that I referred to earlier where our attorneys meet families on site in the community and these individuals would have signed up in advance. They would have gotten a survey to help them answer the questions for the will. And literally they will walk away with a free simple will after an hour, okay? And then the other thing that you would see on our website is our Heirs property seminars and clinics and that is where we will provide legal education to the community we've also done it virtually but these two are actually um, on site and just providing some advice and counsel to individuals after the seminar is complete and these are all free those services I just uh, mentioned are all free but I want to make it clear though is we don't provide direct legal services to individuals who want to sell their land. Preservation is in our name and it's about helping families hold on and maximize the use of that land. Okay. But if you know anybody want to sell some land, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Got you. <laughs> you know, it'd be interesting. Well, we have to take our final break here and I want to come back and talk to you more about the future. Okay. Okay. All right. What do you see happening uh, as you look out over the horizon? We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. News Talk 1450 WOLAM, where information information is power. Well, you don't get the power, Dr. Stevens, from the information. You get the power when you take the information and put it into action. So we're giving people information today about how you can keep the wealth that you may have in land, how you might be able to keep that wealth. Land, I have in the in the district some some apartment buildings, some condo units and so forth. So how do you how do you keep that and pass it on to the future generations? This is where we're giving you the knowledge and hopefully you get into action and create a will so you can leave that. And I, I really like it that you want to make sure, how did you say that Dr. Stevens? You want to make sure you leave them a gift and not a liability and not a liability. Mm -hmm. So how you leave somebody a gift, your loved ones, a gift and not a liability. So I would like for everybody out there to go to www dot airs h-e-i-r-s property dot org and when you get there uh, it says generations pass seasons change 
but the land remains. So you want to keep it. And if you go down, just scroll down a little bit, you can click on donate. Okay. You can click on donate, and it talks about the legal work that they do, the force fee work, the education, and then you can hit the donut button. But I would also encourage you at the top of the page, it says events. And that's what you started talking about with the events. And you said if you need a will, you can come and you can get a free wills clinic and walk away with a will. If you have assets less than, if you own less than $500,000 or net worth less than 500000 And the next one is on Saturday, April the 15th. At least that's the one I'm looking at. It begins at 10 o'clock. You can join a free clinic at the Technical College of the Low Country no country. No country. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and just want to point out, this is only for individuals in South Carolina because our lawyers only practice law in South Carolina. So just want to make that clear. I was coming down. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> they have to move to South Carolina to get this free wills clinic. Um, and then you've got a free heirs property seminar and clinic on April the 12th. Right. Okay, at noon. And I don't see right off. Oh, that's in Allendale, South Carolina. Right. And then there's one on March 24th. Okay. Now, after you get your free will, what what other services do you provide? So, if you do have air, if you do have heirs property, then you can ask for advice and counsel um, from one of our attorneys. You can call the office and schedule an appointment. Now, here's the kicker: even though I said you can't have a will unless you live in South Carolina, even if your land so if your land is located in South Carolina, we still will provide you advice and counsel. Okay. Now, we won't provide you the more extended legal services, but we will provide you with advice and counsel. Basically a resolution plan. These are the steps that you need to take to resolve your heirs' property. So you can live outside of South Carolina, but if your land is in South Carolina, you can help them. Right, because remember I said our attorneys, they're licensed in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we can provide you that advice and counsel about an hour of the attorney's time to kind of help you gather your thoughts and get the next steps on what it would take for your family to resolve the issue with your land. So on February the 25th at 11 o'clock, you have a free air property and sustainable forestry seminar. All right. That that, one sounds good. Yeah. So that is primarily for people who are interested in our sustainable forestry program where we're providing some um, uh, technical assistance or education, but there's always a component where we're talking about heirs' property. So that's at St. Stephen's Missionary Baptist Church in St. Stephen's, South Carolina. And, right. and, and the churches have been a really uh, dynamite for resisting racism throughout, throughout the history of, of us in the U.S. So they can also help with creating wealth right primarily um because we keep track of where our events happen uh, about two-thirds of all of our events incur occur in houses of worship oh about two-thirds okay mm-hmm. okay 
That's a close, close knit. So, well, you're more likely to trust the people that you go to church with. So, I mean, it makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. you, you are. So then if they say, hey, we have this educational seminar, want to make you aware of it, you're more likely to attend. So when I looked at your team, I saw 35 pictures of people, and it's a much bigger team than I had imagined. And how... Uh, you can keep all of those people busy on this heir's property and forestry. And how do you pay for all of that? Um, yes, we can keep them busy because the need is even greater than what we, the resources we currently have. Um, and how do we pay for it? Well, we pay for it um, from donations from individual and corporations and primarily grants and agreements we have with the foundations and the government. That's how we pay for it. Do you charge anything for the the folks like the, I don't know, I think it was Miss Smith mm -hmm. uh, who had a family um, presentation. Presentation. Okay. Right. Did you so charge that family? What families are, if you are accepted to become a legal client, what we ask you to do is to pay for all associated fees uh, in resolving your case. So that could be a title search, that could be a filing fee, that could be a survey. Those things we ask the families to pay for. But what, in essence, people get free, it is the lawyers and attorney, the lawyers and the paralegals time in helping them with their situation. And when we did some research back in the day, about 70% of the cost to resolve title, it is the, Legal. the expertise. Yes, yeah. it's the expertise of the lawyer. So yeah. families are paying, but they're not paying the full price, if you want to think about it. So we subsidize it by receiving, raising money from foundations, governments, and you know, corporate and individual donations. Go to www.heirsproperty.org. And you can scroll down the page and hit donate. So, where do you see the future for for um, your for your for the center and for people owning property? Yeah. So, where I see the future is, I see a world in which other states across the U.S are operating organizations similar to ours. Um, being able to build the capacity of other nonprofit or, um, you know, our private partner, private public partnerships to do this work of delivering legal services to heirs property owners. I mean, ultimately, I would love to see that there's no such thing as heirs property. But unfortunately, it doesn't take long for heirs property to come about again. Um, because one, you can resolve that title, but if one person who's associated with that land dies without a will and their family doesn't probate their estate, then here we go again. Yep. Yep. But definitely make, because we've, um, in our 18 years of operations, we've received calls from all over the U.S. asking us, well, when are y'all going to do something in our state? And unfortunately, we've had to say, oh, we're not. But now we've taken a different approach to that. And we're, um, you know, prime example, we are working with the Mississippi Center for Justice 
and they're um, they have started an heirs property initiative, and we're just lending our experience because they already had the capacity to to deliver legal services, but we're just helping them, um, you know, quickly build up their capacity to provide legal services for heirs property. So have you worked with the Federation of Southern Co-ops also? We've we've worked with the Federation of Southern Co-ops and the Mississippi Association of Co-ops. Okay. Cooperatives. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just know that they have a heirs property person uh, at the Federation that looks at all of those 13 states. So, That's correct. Yeah. But, you know, our thing is we're not trying to do it in every state. We, like I said, we just want to build the capacity of other organizations to deliver the services. So in the last minute, um, what do you like to leave people with? Well, I guess you and I have been preaching it all throughout my presentation, which is have a will, truthfully. Have a will and let your loved ones know where your will is located, and they need to know what to do with the will once you pass. And just share, I mean, you know, because it is, it's about exposure. Nobody knows what they don't know. But, and I said this, I think at the beginning, you know, learn how to make your land work for you rather than you working for the land. Oftentimes, we, people come in our office and they're paying the property tax on land that's not being utilized. Um, and it should be the opposite. The land should be generating money for you <laughs> um, as the owner. So that would be my 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 closing <laughs> message. Get a will. Use the land. Learn learn how to make it make money for you. Okay, I got it. Now I just have to leave. Get some land. I've got some condos. I need to get some land so I can leave to people and make it work for me. Thank you so much, Dr. Stevens. Jenny, it's a pleasure. Uh, and I'd like to get down to South Carolina and visit you one of these days. You're only seven and a half hours away. So I'd like to get down and visit you one day. And everybody out there, we'll see you next Thursday. We're still celebrating Black History Month. Please live cooperatively. News Talk 1450 WOLAM, where information is power.